from RTE News, this is States of Mind. Donald, you're not going to be able to insult your way to the presidency. Little Buddha touch, Slippy Joe and Crazy Bernie. Mini Mike. I hit Pocahontas way too early. We have a president who is not only a pathological liar. We have a criminal living in the White House. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Let's just pick somebody, please, and let's start this thing. Let's start it. Pick somebody. Your U.S. election 2020 podcast. With Brian O'Donovan in Washington. And Jackie Fox in Dublin. Today. Just a few days ago, the press and the pundits had declared the campaign dead. We've seen Joe Biden go from being a joke to a juggernaut. Last night, obviously, was not a good night for our campaign from a delegate point of view. Brian, the Joe Biden bandwagon is officially on the road after a couple of false starts and definitely some dodgy wheels there as well. Yes, and of course the buzzword now, Jackie, is Joe-mentum. Of course, we were always talking about people feeling the burn when you were talking about Bernie Sanders. Now you're talking about Joe-mentum when you're talking about Joe Biden. And my God, what a turnaround. You hear that expression, the comeback kid, certainly relevant in this case. If you look at the path of Joe Biden's travels through this Democratic nomination process, came in as the frontrunner, but very quickly that frontrunner status came under pressure. He had poor debate performances. He had difficulties on stage. He had difficulties with media interviews. He stumbled over his sentences. He found it very difficult. He rambled. And that really damaged him in the polls. And he struggled and he dipped away down below that frontrunner status. And then he had a terrible opening to the primary season, coming fourth in Iowa, coming fifth in New Hampshire. He did come second in Nevada, but it was a very distant second to Bernie Sanders. And then... South Carolina changed everything. Joe Biden campaigned hard in South Carolina. He campaigned hard for that African-American vote. He won it. He had a massive victory in South Carolina. It gave him this huge boost going into Super Tuesday, where he won 10 of the 14 states, and that boost continued. Joe Biden, ABC News can project, will win the Michigan Democratic primary. Tonight, he has won Michigan, Mississippi, and Missouri. And before we go deeper into that Super Tuesday part two, I suppose, as everybody is calling it. Let's do our two minute refresher here, because with these elections coming around every four years, it's so easy for terminology to you know, slip out of your mind. We're talking a lot about delegates at the moment, and everyone is mad for a delegate these days. They are the key here. And a delegate, it's a person, you know, that person is selected to represent a group's decision, usually through voting in a primary or a caucus, that goes on to the Democratic Party political conference during the summer to vote for a candidate on behalf of their party for president of the United States. And Democrats, they have around 4,700 delegates around the country and they're all divided at state level. And the number of delegates as well, Brian, representing each state Uh, or territory is determined by a formula based on its population. So these delegates are critical over the next couple of months. Absolutely. It's all about delegates. In those earlier voting states, your Iowa's, New Hampshire's, South Carolina's, it was all about getting momentum and getting a boost and getting a bit of profile and launching yourself into the rest of the campaign. Now it's all about the raw numbers. It's all Mm. about the delegate count. And here's the most important number of all, 1991. Not the year of my birth, although I know I look that young. 1991, 1,991 delegates. That's what you need to win the Democratic nomination. And you win those delegates, as you say, by winning states. Now, it's not a winner-take-all scenario. So if you look at a big state like 
California, 415 delegates. Bernie Sanders projected to win California. He doesn't win all of those delegates. They're divided up on a proportional basis. Joe Biden will get some as well. So it's very important when you talk about a candidate winning a state, you say, OK, but how much did they win it by? How big was the gap? And that will determine how many delegates they get. So now everybody is focused on the delegate count. I think at last count, Joe Biden ahead, obviously, because as we spoke about, he's got all that momentum now. He's had quite a few big, significant wins. I think his delegate count has pushed over the 800 mark. Bernie Sanders still behind him on less than seven. But you might be saying that figure I mentioned at the start, 1,991, still a long way to go. And yes, there is still a long way to go. I mean, they're nowhere near hitting that target. That's the target that you need to be elected on the first ballot at the Democratic Convention in July. And two weeks ago, Biden was quite skimp, as they say, on the delegates. But then Super Tuesday rolled around, Super Tuesday part one. And over 72 hours, he clocked up a lot. It was really unbelievable stuff for a man whose campaign was on the verge of collapsing and he won states where he didn't even have any offices. Absolutely. And what was interesting about that big South Carolina bounce that we spoke about at the start that relaunched his campaign, rescued it from the dead. He was down in the doldrums. He had done so badly in those earlier primaries. Because he was so focused on South Carolina, he sort of almost ignored the Super Tuesday states for a couple of reasons. Number one, he was so physically busy campaigning in South Carolina. And number two, he didn't have any money. He had no money to invest in those Super Tuesday states. That was a great figure. I think it was uh, Michael Bloomberg, who, as we know, spent half a billion dollars campaigning and advertising mm. in Super Tuesday states. I think in the state of Virginia alone, Michael Bloomberg had spent something like $12 million in advertising. Joe Biden had spent about $200,000. Not necessarily a clever calculating move. I think it was out of necessity. Is it as simple, though, to say that black voters in South Carolina, though, Brian, during Super Tuesday, were the ones to ignite Joe Biden's recovery, though? It certainly helped. And what actually helped in the days leading up to it was a very influential African-American congressman by the name of James Clyburn. He came out and he endorsed Joe Biden. And that really did give him a big boost. And throughout that week leading up to South Carolina, Joe Biden kept saying that he was confident he was going to win it. He was confident that he was popular among African-Americans. And it was true again last night for Super Tuesday 2. He did very well among the African-American population again, Joe Biden. There was a statistic, I believe it was in the state of Mississippi, when you looked specifically at black Black voters, 83% of them voted for Joe Biden as opposed to voting for Bernie Sanders. But Brian, why does Joe Biden have such a strong African-American base? He's a white old man. Surely there's a hunger there for some change. Isn't it interesting when we look back at the start of this democratic race? We had men, women, young, old, gay, straight, African-American, Asian-American, and now we're left with two white men in their 70s. Why did that happen? A lot of it came down to money. These campaigns are all about money and having a strong, structured support base. And you look at who on paper at the start looked at fantastic candidates, two African-American candidates, for example, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. They had to pull out. They pulled out quite early, actually, because they ran out of money. They just didn't have yeah. the support. It costs a fortune to run these campaigns. You need to spend millions in advertising and you need to spend millions hiring staff, campaign staff around the US to do your campaigning for you. Both of those ran out of money. And yes, the black voter has now flocked to Joe Biden. A huge, of it is the, a huge part of it is the Obama factor. He was Barack Obama's Vice President, he stood by his side for eight years. Barack Obama is still massively popular across America in general, but particularly with the African-American population. Joe Biden is feeling that 
Bernie Sanders polls well among Latinos, young people polls well among Liberals, there just isn't enough of them. They're not coming out in the numbers that are needed to get them over the line. Let's talk endorsements too, because really it just gives me a chance to play this. Yes, that's Cher, one of the big wigs endorsing Joe Biden. But do these endorsements even matter? Does it give people a bit of faith in a candidate and cement that they can actually do this, especially in what once was a crowded field in the Democrats' race? Do you believe in life after Joe? Yeah, Joe Biden (laughs) getting uh, endorsement after endorsement after endorsement. And what was key in the run-up to Super Tuesday and after Super Tuesday when we saw big name candidates dropping out, they weren't just dropping out, they were backing Joe Biden. And those big popular names, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, and then after Super Tuesday with Michael Bloomberg dropping out and backing Joe Biden. Of course, what's key with Michael Bloomberg, it's not just I'm giving you my vote, mate, and the thumbs up. (laughs) He also has limitless financial resources and can pump millions into the Biden campaign and give him a huge financial boost. I think this is the election of endorsements. I think it has made huge differences. We spoke earlier about James Clyburn. That helped. We know Joe, but most importantly, Joe knows us. And I think that really did give him a boost. And on the subject of endorsements, we saw an interesting lack of an endorsement from Elizabeth Warren after she pulled out. I mean, Elizabeth Warren would traditionally be on that left liberal side of the Democratic Party, the same side as Bernie Sanders. You'd imagine her supporters would flock to him. But when she pulled out, she was asked by reporters who endorsing. She said, I'm not saying that today. I may make that announcement on another day, but I'm not saying it today, which was interesting in itself because one would have thought maybe she would have backed Bernie because she's on the same political spectrum. But of course, you may recall, Jackie, that during the campaign, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren had a very high profile falling out. And at one point, she was picked up on a microphone after the debate, accusing Bernie Sanders of calling her a liar. Elizabeth Warren, though, she's playing the game as well, Brian. You know, she has officially suspended her campaign, but she's still in the spotlight. She appeared on SNL recently and she's keeping her name out there. How have you been since uh, dropping out of the race? You know, I'm doing just fine. My friends and family have been so supportive. They've been calling nonstop, asking, are you okay? What do you need? Were you electable? She knows that all eyes are going to be on her to see who she endorses because that decision, really, in the words of the president himself, it's a bigly decision. Yes, and the Elizabeth Warren story is an interesting one. Look back at Elizabeth Warren's campaign. She was, at one point, a frontrunner, and she was leading in that progressive liberal wing of the party. And then it all sort of fell apart for her. Um, I think one of her big problems came on one of her core issues, which was healthcare, that Medicare for all stance championed by Bernie Sanders, the idea of free healthcare for American people. When she was challenged on her policies on that and challenged on how it would be funded, she sort of flip-flopped, sort of tried to come down the middle, appease both sides of the healthcare debate and actually ended up annoying both of them. And I think that damaged her campaign. She suffered as a result. I will say this much for Elizabeth Warren. I thought she was an excellent debater. Absolutely. She dominated on the debate stage. And she particularly 
gave Michael Bloomberg a very difficult time on the debate stage. I'll support whoever the Democratic nominee is, but understand this. Democrats take a huge risk if we just substitute one arrogant billionaire for another. Remember Michael Bloomberg came in late, skipped all those early voting states, pumped hundreds of millions of his own money into the later voting Super Tuesday states and got onto the debate stage late, only did a handful of debates, did not perform well. And that really was the end of his campaign. People realized, OK, you've got lots of money, but you're not a particularly charismatic guy. You're not particularly likable. You're not particularly good on stage. He used to tell these awful jokes in his interviews and on stage that were clearly, you know, focus grouped to within an inch of his life. And I'm sure all the people on his payroll laughed. But then when he actually tried them on the debate stage, they were a disaster. And Elizabeth Warren called him out. She did the other candidates a favour. She very much took Michael Bloomberg out of the running, I think, but she herself then was to fall only a few days later. This campaign, or these campaigns, Brian, especially for the Democratic Party nomination, people around the world and analysts around the world are trying to dissect messages, trying to understand the Democratic Party. Let's try and see if we can get into the minds of even one Democrat. We're joined here by Matthew Wiggler, who's a Democrat living in Ireland. Matthew, thank you for joining us here on States of Mind. Thank you for having me. You backed Bernie Sanders in 2016. Pete Buttigieg, uh, you supported him this time round. However, he has dropped out. And now you're behind Biden. And very proud to be behind Biden. But hold on now a second. Why aren't you feeling the burn again? Well, you see, Joe Biden's campaign has tapped into what brought me into politics in the first place. It's tapped into the hope of the Obama years. You know, I remember I was a kid in 2008 watching TV, listening to Barack Obama say that change can't wait for some other person or some other time. We're the ones we've been waiting for. We're the change we seek. And Joe Biden was always right there on that stage with him for eight years. He was a loyal vice president to him. He actually got stuff done. Um, Working across the aisle, he was the point person in the Obama administration to work with Republicans in Congress. And while Bernie Sanders talks a big game about the things that he wants to do and about his agenda, if the last four years in this campaign have proven anything, it's that Bernie Sanders is not able to get those things done. We were talking before about Elizabeth Warren's um, decision not to endorse Bernie Sanders. What does it say about the ability of the Bernie Sanders campaign well, to build coalitions? she hasn't made up her mind yet, and we don't know that. But just to go to, you know, looking at Joe Biden and Obama together, Obama was an incredible speaker. He was amazing on the the world stage and could deliver really powerful speeches. That's not the case for Joe Biden. And we've seen that over the past year. His performances are quite questionable. Recently, he confused his sister for his wife. He tends to ramble. He called a woman in the audience last year a lying dog-faced pony soldier, which is apparently from a John Wayne film. And at one point, he thought he was running for the Senate. You don't get far unless you ask. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. Are you worried about that Joe Biden, not the 2008 Joe Biden, but the Joe Biden that we have now. I'm not. Um, One of the places where Joe Biden actually really excels and comes through as a really strong candidate is in personal one-on-one interactions with people. Um, You know, in in campaign event after campaign event, the moment when he's on stage, maybe that could be a rough moment for him. But when he's able to, you know, shake hands with the voter and listen to them, I understand he has a real talent for listening to people and making them hear heard. You could see video after video as well of him interacting, you know, at the debates with the people behind stage, getting on really well with them on his way up to his interview with the New York Times. It's not about how he did with the journalists, but it's about the fact that the security guard and the elevator operator both, you know, gave Joe Biden this big warm hearted embrace 
and told him about their problems and he listened to them and, and made them feel heard and made them feel like he was going to go out there and fight for the change that Is they need. Is that good enough, though, when this election seems to be all about electability for the Democrats during Definitely. this cycle? He could be up against Donald Tr- Trump on the debate stage and Donald Trump can be a ferocious debater. I think that Donald Trump isn't a good debater in the traditional sense. One of the things that Donald Trump has done is he's thrown away the traditional debate playbook and he just sort of circles the stage like a shark trying to intimidate his opponent. And Joe Biden isn't someone who gets intimidated. One of the uh, videos of him getting into a confrontation with a gun enthusiast at a labor union. I did not say that. That's not tr- I did not say that. And Joe Biden very much did his ground and was strong and seeing him one on one going fact for fact with a voter who disagreed with him. Joe Biden put in a really strong performance that shows the kind of Joe Biden that we could expect when he's poked and prodded by Donald Trump. He'll be strong and steely under pressure. Joe Biden's candidate. Well, we do see he is struggling with the younger generation. I know you're part of that generation, but he is struggling as a whole. He needs to tap into that a little bit more. How does he do that? Well, I think that one way that he could do that is he could pick someone from the new squad of Democrats that he's assembled as a counterweight to the Bernie Sanders squad of Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib. Joe Biden now has the enthusiastic backing of really young, promising politicians from the center-left wing. Um, that I think is the bulk of the Democratic Party, as we're seeing in this primary. People like Mayor Pete Buttigieg, people like um, Senator Amy Klobuchar, Senator Cory Booker, Senator Kamala Harris. It was really promising for the future. But at the end of the day, there's only going to be one candidate who's going to be going up against Donald Trump. Can those two squads come together? I think so. I think they need to. I think we all need to vote like their children in cages, like climate change is the greatest challenge to ever confront humanity, an existential threat. But when you have Joe Biden on the campaign stage saying that he's a real Democrat and saying supporters of Bernie aren't, how is that unifying? Well, it's Bernie who's saying that. Um, It's Bernie who's not a member of the Democratic Well, Joe Biden is simply pointing out the reality. I mean, in December, it was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who, you know, got on the news and said, I don't view myself and Joe Biden as part of the same party. Um, Bernie Sanders could have mounted a much stronger campaign this time around if he didn't insist on playing by the same playbook that he used in 2016 that lost him the election. He could have stayed a Democrat after that election. Instead, he didn't. He became an independent again, and he spent all of his time, instead of supporting the moderate Democratic congressional candidates who took back the House of Representatives for the Democratic Party in this 2018 blue wave that swept the Republicans out of the House and gave Nancy Pelosi the speaker's gavel, Bernie Sanders didn't support them. Instead, he tried to run primary campaigns against them, trying to force out A, Democratic incumbents, B, promising moderate candidates in red to blue districts in order to promote his own people. But you liked him in 2016. In 2016, I think um, Bernie Sanders did a lot better and, and had a lot more support from people. Um, than he did this time around. I'm not the only person who has, you know, left the the Sanders camp, felt alienated by the Sanders camp. If you look at a lot of the states and a lot of the counties where he's won in the past, he hasn't managed to perform nearly as high as he did before. He's lost a lot of voters to Joe Biden because Joe Biden makes people feel included. He makes people feel like he's actually able to produce results. 
um, Brian, you're still with us as well. Do you want to pick up on something Matthew said there that, you know, Bernie Sanders doesn't have the support that he had in 2016? And clearly we can see that from Matthew sitting across from us here. Absolutely. And we saw it played out last night, Jackie, in the, uh, the, the media coverage analyzing county by county by county as Matthew said there particularly the state of Michigan you know this was won by Bernie back in 2016 not this time this was won by Bernie back in 2016 not this time a total flip a total turnaround Michigan was key to rescuing the Bernie campaign back in 2016 it had been written off it gave him a boost it carried him along for a little bit longer not on this case people who backed him in 2016 have now turned to Joe Biden and of course the Democrats would say and we hope and we think a lot of the people who abandoned the Democrats to go Donald Trump's way back in 2016 will come back and they'll come back for Joe. I do just want to say something else about the the, the Biden performance, the onstage mm. persona. And it's, I'm going to agree with something that Matthew said. And it comes down to, he's not great at the debate. He will stumble over his words. He'll lose his train of thought. When Joe Biden shines is when there's a personal moment. They do a lot of these town hall meetings on the TV here. And oftentimes someone in the audience will ask him the most personal of questions, like how do you deal with grief? How do you deal with the sadness in this world? And Joe Biden will talk about his own personal situation and losing family members and the tragedy in his life. And those moments are very special and they always get these most amazing round of applause and people are very emotional. And that's when Joe Biden shines. The problem is, Donald Trump on the debate stage isn't a particularly nice guy. Yeah, no, I, I think that what you're saying is correct, that Joe Biden comes across as a good man, and it's because he is a fundamentally decent person. And I think that when you put the two of them on stage together, that's the contrast people are going to see. It's not going to be about, you know, how loud somebody can yell. It's going to be about whether they present themselves as a good person who has the interests of the country at heart or somebody who's consistently put their own interest above America. For all of Donald Trump's talk of America first, it's always been Donald Trump first, you know, with Ukraine. Um, and, and, and every other scandal in his administration, even now with coronavirus. It's hard to escape that word coronavirus and its outbreak. There are obviously massive fears this side of the Atlantic and on the other side too. It's already having an impact on election 2020. And we also saw those new travel restrictions by Donald Trump. But his response has so far been quite questionable. Yes, and we saw examples of it on Super Tuesday too. First off, both Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden cancelled big rallies because of coronavirus fears. They said they had spoken to the local health officials and they'd advise them to cancel those. I think it's damaging Donald Trump right now politically. People are looking at him thinking, you acted too late. Acting too late, but also people have accused him of previously playing this down. Playing it down because he's so concerned with the stock market. Now the Democrats are politicising the coronavirus you know that right? coronavirus they're politicizing it and this is their new hoax she's very very worried about the economic impact of the coronavirus because he knows that if the stock market keeps falling and if the economy starts to slip into recession he is in big trouble that is his trump card if the economy is still doing very very well Come November, I think Donald Trump is in with a very, very good chance of getting back in. If the economy struggles as a result of the coronavirus, he could be in big, big trouble, and he knows that. Donald Trump has talked about more jobs, good economy, under my presidency. If right. that slips away from him, he's not going to like that because he finds that as his main legacy. Absolutely, and that is the one thing he can point to. And he's right. American unemployment at a record low. American stock market booming 
for 11 years. It is unprecedented. Actually, the falls that happened the other day on the New York Stock Exchange marks the anniversary 11 years ago of when things started to turn around after the big crash of 2008. And I know Matthew sitting next to you there in the studio as a Democrat will say, well, Brian, it was Barack Obama that it started. Was. Brian, he lit a fire under Matthew Wigler here. <laughs> he was dying to get in after you were mentioning Obama here. So I'm going to have to give him the floor. I mean, I think we should take a look at who is benefiting from the Donald Trump economy, because you're right, you know, stock markets are up. If you look at overall unemployment figures, you see that they're down. But that, you know, papers over it gilds a darker reality which is that the economy right now the trump economy is not working for everyone the benefits of it have been deeply unevenly distributed where you know for many americans especially americans my age we're struggling right now um debt is rising um people's salaries are stagnated i think the sparring over this and also the legacy of donald trump's presidency is another hour, two hours we can spend talking about that. But for now, listen, Matthew Wigler, thank you so much for joining us here on States of Mind. Um, it's kind of like the risk of whether we mention Mick Mulvaney or not. Did you hear anything, Brian? Do you know what? I just had a missed call. Do you mind? Can okay. I ring them now, right? Literally, this is his woman. Okay. I just missed a call from her, so she answers and she could tell me. Oh, what are you going to do? Answered, though. Hang on, maybe she emailed me. Bear with me. Let me check my emails. Uh, oh, yes. Hi, Brian. Sorry, Mr. Oh. Call. I just rang you back. Can Ooh. you and a photographer fill out the tax forms? I can grant you oh. asks us. We're hoping for a 10 a.m. interview in Mick's office tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's... Special think it's guest confirmed. Yes. All right, Jackie. So uh, just got an email there uh, from the White House here behind me confirming... Dun, dun, dun. You're so important, Brian. Come Mick. on. Mick Mulvaney. I know, yeah, I get emails from the White House all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. um, confirming that we have an interview right now with Mick Mulvaney, Donald Trump's nice outgoing one. acting chief of staff, who, as we know, has been appointed to the role of the Northern Ireland Special Envoy. So it'll be a very interesting interview tomorrow. We'll hopefully put it out on the podcast tomorrow. What do you think? Absolutely. Special edition on St. Patrick's Week or even Fortnight over there, because it seems like St. Patrick's Day festivities, they can be never ending. Even though some high profile events have been cancelled, including the traditional shamrock ceremony reception at the White House. Yeah, so a very interesting week. Lots of question marks over whether that big traditional shamrock bowl ceremony between Leo Varadkar and Donald Trump would go ahead because there was American media reports during the week that the White House was actually actively reaching out to foreign officials, encouraging them not to come to the US and instead do teleconferencing and telephone calls. But you know, coronavirus has had an impact on it. Uh, the original St. Patrick's visit was meant to be longer. He was supposed to be in New York on Tuesday, but he cancelled that so he could stay in Ireland to address the coronavirus situation. Uh, the Irish ambassador's traditional St. Patrick's reception is not going ahead. So there will be an overflow of Ferrero Rocher, I'm sure, in Washington because the ambassador's reception will not be spoiling us. Ferrero Rocher? You, are, you see, this is it, Jackie. You're too young to remember that. Do you remember <laughs> that ad? Where they went around with a tray of, I'm showing my age, they went around with a tray of Ferrero Rocher at an ambassador's residence. And they is said, that what, oh, like the pyramid one? The, the pyramid yeah, about the, the pyramid. And they said, oh, ambassador, yes. with this Rocher, you are really spoiling us. But clearly I'm way too old. Uh, so that joke. This is just work. a generational thing. A bit like Michael thing. Bloomberg. My jokes, my jokes fall flat on the youth. Were they focused group? Because that was terrible. Exactly, exactly, because that was terrible. I know, yeah, yeah. My, my focus group of one okay. uh, would have laughed. A busy few days ahead with, with, with St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, and a couple of primaries coming up as well over kind of the St. Patrick's week, fortnight yeah, to I, look forward I, to. 
Absolutely, and actually the next round happened to happen on St. Patrick's Day, Tuesday the 17th. Uh, one of the big ones there will be Florida. Lots of delegates up for grabs right now. Joe Biden polling well in Florida. Looks like he could do the business. The Joe momentum continues. We shouldn't write Bernie Sanders off yet. I think mathematically it's still possible for him to catch up, but certainly Joe Biden has really cemented his lead as the front runner and is really starting to stretch that lead on the delegate count, which is all important ahead of the Democratic convention in July. Brian, great to chat to you. Chat to you soon. Thanks, guys.